Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, let's take our copy of God's Word and open them again to the book of Proverbs. We're studying all summer long on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings through the book of Proverbs. And today's text is Proverbs 23, verses 24 and 25. Now, you remember that many of the Proverbs, over 800 of them collected here in this book known as Proverbs, were written from the perspective of a father who has given godly counsel and advice to his son, the crown prince, on how to live a life that pleases God. In other words, the Proverbs are instructions in wisdom, the making of good and sound and God-honoring choices. Well, Proverbs 23, 24, and 25 is written to young people, encouraging them to live lives that bring joy to their parents. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Mother's Day here, and today we honor dads. So at least even in our wicked culture, Two days a year, we make a special effort to put a smile on the faces of our parents if they are living and honor their memory of our parents if they are deceased. But our text today is not about uh, grand gestures or gifts. Now, it's fun sometimes to give good gifts to your parents. Um, in 1995, I was called to my first pastor. I was 23 years old, little village out in the woods called French Camp, Mississippi. And one of the requirements of, of their calling me is I had to move into their parsonage, which is a little brick home literally in the middle of the woods. And so for the next five years, I lived alone in the woods. I, I couldn't see my next door neighbor. But my next door neighbor happened to be a family who were uh, Christian people. And the patriarch of that family was named Billy Joe. And Billy Joe, like most of the men in that community, was a blue collar laborer. In fact, he was a logger. He had equipment that uh, he cut down trees and hauled logs himself, and that's how he raised his two boys. Those boys were grown by the time I moved there, but uh, the people in the community would tell stories about uh, those boys. Those boys had two great loves. One was hunting white-tailed deer, and the other was playing baseball, and they were very good at both of it. And the little county school that uh, those boys went to school in was known not for baseball, but for football. In fact, they love football so much. One year, they had 57 boys in the entire 9 through 12, and 56 of them went out for football. And they had a wonderful team. They won the state championship almost every year, but they didn't have a baseball program. And Billy Joe wanted his boys to play baseball. And so he went to the school board and asked them for permission to clear off a few acres that the school owned adjacent to the property he cut down the trees, cleared the property himself, and built the school a baseball field so that his sons could play high school baseball. And they started a program there. They hired a coach. And uh, one of Billy Joe's sons was drafted by the Houston Astros. And he did very well. And when he became eligible for arbitration after about five years of pitching in the big leagues, he signed a $73 million contract for five years to play baseball. Ended up making over $100 million before he was 35 years old playing baseball. So I think that was a pretty good investment by old Billy Joe. <laughs> but when his son 
before he would sign that contract, he went to the owner and said, I'll only sign with your team if you will buy my father a bulldozer of his choice. And so Roy Oswalt signed a $73 million contract plus a bulldozer for Billy Joe. And I often thought about that when I think of Father's Day. We, we think that we can pay our dads back for a lifetime of service and sacrifice with grand gestures. But the Bible's not about grand gestures or gifts. Rather, it is instruction on how to live lives that godly parents will make, will take joy observing as we grow older and as they grow older. So, the title of the message today, as I said, is Let Your Dad Be Glad. And so let's read our text, Proverbs 23, verses 24 and 25. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of this, his word. Well, first and foremost, we should want to please our heavenly father. Would you agree? In fact, that is the reason we exist, to glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's our number one mission statement here at First Baptist Keller, isn't it? SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, everything to the glory of God alone. The Bible teaches that left to our own devices, not one of us would do that. We do not bring glory to God left to our own devices. In fact, the Bible says there's not one righteous among us, not even one. We come into the world little rebels. And as soon as we are able, we willingly disobey our Heavenly Father who calls us to be righteous and holy, even as He is righteous and holy. But what brings joy in heaven, according to the Scripture, is when a sinner repents and believes in Christ. Luke 15.10, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner that repents. Now you may have the idea that the Heavenly Father is mean-spirited and angry and ready to drop an anvil from heaven on anyone who disobeys him. That's not what the Bible says about God's nature. Ezekiel 33.11 says this, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then should you die, house of Israel? God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is calling people to repent of their sins and Come back. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Second Peter 3.8 says a similar thing. But do not let one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, we could get in a debate this morning about God's permissive will and God's Decorative will, but that's not what the sermon's about this morning. What, what that seems to indicate is God has decreed what will happen. Certain facts um, are irrefutable and irrevocable. God has said that he's going to save a people unto himself and that Christ is going to come again and those people are going to live with him forever in eternity. But on the other hand, God has also declared there are certain things that are his will that he gives us the ability to disobey. For example, in the Ten Commandments, God says, thou shalt not steal. But do people steal? He says, thou shalt not kill. But people continue 
to kill. But God says that what he desires is for people to repent and to be saved. So the question is, what makes God glad? What makes our Heavenly Father happy? Well, first of all, he says, if you want to make your Heavenly Father glad, you must, number one, be righteous positionally. Be righteous positionally. The Bible describes two sorts of righteousness. We talk about this all the time. There is positional righteousness and there's practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is often described in terms of imputed righteousness, that it comes from the outside and it's imputed to the sinner. It is not the righteousness of personal achievement. It is right standing before our holy creator God given as a free gift through faith alone in the person and work of Christ. I'm so looking forward to our study of the book of Romans starting in August. And one of the classic texts on imputed righteousness is in Romans. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, which says, Now to the one who works, the wages are not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Did you hear what he said? We don't make God happy by doing enough good deeds to outweigh our bad deeds. We don't make up for a lifetime of rebellion through one grand gesture or one gift. But in fact, all we can do is come to him on his terms in humility, call out to him for forgiveness and believe on Christ. And he credits that faith in Christ as Righteousness, Philippians 3, 8 and 9. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I am suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, Paul says. All of his achievements, all of his works, he adds them all together and it comes up to zero. Why? So that I may gain Christ. The only way to gain Christ is to count every work and achievement in your life as worthless by comparison, that I might be found in him, verse 9 says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And if you could summarize the book of Romans, there it is. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. As Paul said in Ephesians, not of works, lest any man should boast. 2 Corinthians 5 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about positional righteousness. God imputes his righteousness to us through faith in Christ. He counts us righteous even though we're sinners. We become a new category, sinners saved by grace. Before we can hope to practice righteousness in our relationships with other people, we must first be made righteous positionally through the grace of God. Now, our text this morning is not primarily, though, about making your heavenly father glad. It's really talking about our earthly fathers. So that tells me, Christian dad, that what makes our heavenly father happy ought to be the same thing that makes we earthly fathers happy if we're claiming to be growing in Christ-likeness and sanctification. And so let me ask you a very personal question, dads. If I were to ask your children, what makes your dad glad, what would he say? 
would he say, it makes me glad when my child achieves in sports or wins awards at school for academic prowess or for my adult children when they get a raise or a promotion or they're made the vice president of their business? Does that make me glad? And nothing wrong with any of those things. So you might want to do an experiment this week to see how you're doing as a Christian dad. Just, just take your children aside and ask them, what do you think makes your dad glad? I did this yesterday. It was a big mistake. <laughs> I asked my son, Andrew, I said, Andrew, what do you think makes your dad glad? He said, when I do all my chores, <laughs> which is kind of just the opposite of the point today. But that's what kids think. I make my dad happy when I do right, when I do works. And a lot of people in the world think that's what will get them to heaven or allow them to have a relationship with their Heavenly Father if they do all their works, all their chores. And, and so I pressed them that, no, Andrew, you know that's not so. What makes Dad glad? And, and hopefully all of our children uh, we, would know that ultimately what makes their dad glad is knowing that our children have put their faith and trust in Christ alone. That when they die, they'll spend eternity in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I want my kids to know that the very most important thing that can ever be said of them is that they are believers in Jesus Christ. But beyond that, we bring joy to our Heavenly Father, not just when we ask forgiveness of our sins and He makes us positionally righteous. He is glorified through that. But then He wants us to practice righteousness in our everyday lives. And so that's our next point when we think of making our dad glad. To make our Heavenly Father glad, we must be righteous practically. Practical righteousness is, is just that. It's righteousness put into practice every day in our behavior, in our speech, in the way we prioritize our lives. And the New Testament has much to say about practical righteousness. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You remember I studied the book of Ephesians? Six chapters long. The first three chapters very intensely doctrinal. Paul lays out to us all the blessings that are ours by virtue of our faith in Christ. Raised to be seated with him in heavenly places, Paul says. All these grand things that are true of us because of our relationship with Christ. Then he comes to the halfway point, chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, now, because this is who you are positionally, here's how to live your life practically. He says, walk, which is your walk is your way of life, your habitual way of living, in a way that is worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That is, live up to your family name. You've been given a name. The book of Proverbs says a good name, a good reputation, is more precious than jewels. And so behave and live and speak in a way that is in accordance with who you are positionally. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, we're not calling you to works righteousness. The Bible says we are to behave righteously because that's who we are positionally. God views us as righteous now behave that way. That's what makes the Father happy. Now hear the joy 
of the Father in the book of Job. Some of you are studying the book of Job this summer, right? In Sunday school classes. You remember in chapter 1, verse 8, Satan came for an audience with God. And what did God say to Satan? Well, I'll tell you. Verse 8, Job 1. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him in all the earth, a blameless and an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, when I was a single guy, even when I was married before I had children, I used to roll my eyes when my friends with children would bring out the pictures of their kids. And every conversation, let me tell you what my son did the other day. Now I find myself doing that all the time. That's what we do when we take delight in our children. We, we want to talk about them. We want to point their achievements out to other people. And here is the Heavenly Father pointing out to Satan. Seen Job over there? He's a good one. He's blameless and upright. He fears me and he turns away from evil. That is what a good father takes delight in and takes joy in is the righteousness and the holiness of his child. This is what John the Apostle said. We don't know if he had any earthly children, we're not told, but the people that he led to the Lord and the churches that he planted, he considered himself their spiritual father and they his spiritual children. And in 3 John 1, 4, he says this, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children are walking in the truth. What about you, dads? Again, uh, let, let's ask that personal question one more time. What do you take joy in? Is it your child's achievements? Is it their athletic prowess? Is their ability to navigate this life with aplomb? Or is it that they're walking in truth? that they love the Lord. Now, let's look at our, our text one more time. In Proverbs 24, 23, verse 24, the father of the righteous, that is practically righteous person, will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a son will be glad in him. Two, two phrases to describe a father whose son habitually makes wise decisions, who lives his life to the glory of God. Number one, he says that father's going to greatly rejoice. He's going to, to, to be happy. And secondly, he's going to delight in his son. When he thinks about his son, when he talks to other people about his son, it's going to be obvious that there's great joy there. And again, when you talk about your children, what do you talk about? You talk about the fact that they excel in competition against their peers or that they're thought of as popular in their school, or that uh, they have figured out how to get by in the world without too much problem. I'm going to say something to you dads that's very difficult. I have never, to my remembrance, in 25 years of pastoring, had a dad come to me and bemoan the fact that he didn't encourage his children to excel in sports or academics popularity in school. On the other hand, I have on numerous occasions sat with fathers of adult children while they wept and finally composed themselves enough to say that their biggest regret is that they did not lead their children when they were young to pursue hard after the things of God. 
Now, if you had a dad or mom who made it very clear that their greatest joy was in your salvation and your sanctification, you have reason to give thanks today. And so we should do that. It's right and appropriate that we take at least one day a year to honor that. And I want to pray for you and for my children today, as I constantly do, that our children, when they leave home, will know that mom and dad want more than anything else for them to walk in truth. The same thing that the Apostle John wanted for the people that, that uh, he had led to faith in Christ. Now that's not to say that our children are going to be perfect and never make a mistake. But may it be said of them that they are pursuing sanctification and making their decisions small and great based on God's word. But that will not happen <laughs> by accident. That will not happen by osmosis. Just as I said last week when we were talking about the concept of wisdom, I, I said we will not become wise people passively. We have to pursue it. That's a great theme of the book of Proverbs. We have to pursue it. We have to be intentional. We have to have a plan. We have to study. We have to memorize. And so if your prayer is for your child to be godly and wise in the things of God, you have to have a plan. And that plan must include making church a priority, not a tack on. Saying we're going to be here unless we are providentially hindered. We're not going to let the things of the world interfere so that there is no question when my child graduates and leaves home, they knew what was most important. But it's not enough to send them to church. You have to teach them at home. You have to make the Word of God the center of your family and of your very existence. And most importantly, you have to practice what you preach. Children are very wise. I told you last week, you, you don't try to get, keep your children from sinning by telling them it's no fun. They're smarter than that. They also know what's important to you. They watch very closely what we say and, and what we do. And if you want your child to love the Lord, you love the Lord. That's the greatest thing you can do. So uh, be righteous positionally, first and foremost. We have to have our sins forgiven to be in right standing with God. And then he wants us to grow in sanctification so that we may be righteous practically. And like Job, be a righteous person. And then thirdly, finally, to make our Father happy, we must be wise consistently. Consistently. Look at uh, verse 25, back in Proverbs 23. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Now, what he's saying there is let your parents have joy over your lifetime. That's not, again, to say that we ever don't disappoint them or make mistakes or have setbacks, but as they view your life, as you grow older... As they grow older, as they observe the decisions you're making and the way that you're making progress in your own life, it will bring them joy and not grief. You see, joy is, is more than a one-time experience of pleasure. I expect all of us have a couple of memories, at least in our life, where we did something or achieved something that brought pride and joy to our parents. not talking about that. We're talking about a way of life. Remember what he said last week? A walk, a path, 
consistency in making your decisions over a long period of time. So what he's saying is here, if you want to make your dad glad, when your godly parents reflect on the trajectory of your life, let it bring them joy and not grief. I can almost sense in the room there's some who did not have godly parents growing up and maybe anger is welling up in you and you maybe think, well, you didn't know my parents. They made a lot of mistakes. I don't doubt that at all. You say, my parents are not perfect. No, mine aren't either, and, and frankly, neither are you, <laughs> and neither am I. The, the only children that deserve perfect parents are perfect children. I haven't met any of those lately, have you? And so I want to conclude today with just some godly counsel and advice. I want to say, first of all, to children, if you want to grow up to be a man and woman, who makes wise choices as a way of life, start young. Start young. The Bible says even a child is known by his actions. Even a child is known by their decision making. Start young. What I mean by that is cultivate a habit, young person, of listening to your parents' instructions and obeying them, knowing that they have your best interest at heart. The Bible says it in an economy of words. Children, obey your parents. Why? For this is right. God is the standard of righteousness, isn't he? And he says in his word that to obey your parents is right. Now you say, well, what if they tell me to sin? Well, that's a good question. In fact, we have the same standard as Christian citizens in our country, don't we? Um, remember when Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel and they told him not to do that anymore. He said, you judge between us whether it is right to obey God or man. And so I just simply say it like this. Obey your parents and obey the Lord. Obey authorities, in other words, that are over you. Obey the government and obey your parents to the point that they command you to do something that God says is wrong. Or they forbid you from doing something that God says is right. But in general, obey your parents. Because they have your best interest at heart, even though if they are imperfect themselves, and they are. So start young. And I'd say to parents, if you want your children to grow up to be wise people, start young in training them. Don't wait until they're teenagers to get serious about their training. But if it's too late to start young, there used to be an old country song I liked. It says, uh, too old to die young. A lot of us here are too old to die young, aren't we? And if it's too late for you to start young in training your children and obey your parents, if you can't start young, start now, right where you are, to honor your father and mother. You say, well, my parents are gone. It's too late. Well, you can honor them by living a Christ-like life. I think the best way to honor your godly parents is to live for Jesus, whether they're living or, or, or whether... They're dead. Now, thank the Lord for the good influence they were in your life. Now, even the worst parents had some good qualities. I was at the Southern Baptist Convention this week, and you probably heard a lot of the controversies that were going on. But I remember a few years ago, I was in a meeting late into the night of, uh, of some young pastors. Hundreds of them were gathered, and one of the seminary presidents was presiding over the meeting. 
And one after another, these 20-something-year-old pastors were getting up and slamming our denomination and telling them what they would do differently if they were in charge. And this went on for 15 minutes. And finally, this wise professor got everyone's attention. He said, okay, I've heard you. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, how many of you were saved in a Southern Baptist church? Hands went up all over the room. How many of you were trained to love the Lord in a Southern Baptist church? Hands went up all over the room. How many of you were called to be a minister in one of the Southern Baptist churches? Hands went up all over the room. And he said this, well, we're doing something right. I'd apply that to your parents. They weren't perfect. I'm not a perfect parent. You're not. But if you were saved in a Christian home, thank the Lord. <laughs> if they taught you to love Jesus, if they brought you to church, if they trained you in the scriptures, even imperfectly, you've got something to give the Lord thanks for. Thank the Lord for the good and godly influence your parents were in your life. And as a Christian, if they didn't do any of those things, forgive them. And ask the Lord to change your heart towards them. Now, fathers, finally, there's a lot of things that we could do to be better dads. And I know there's a lot of pressure on us to be husbands and dads and providers and community leaders. And it's a tough job description. But you can distill it down to about three things. If you'll do these three things, Dad, I think you'll find yourself fulfilling your role as a dad. Number one, commit. Commit to pray for your children daily. Nothing better you can do than to pray for your children. Don't worry about it if you can't provide them the same lifestyle that their friends enjoy or you can't provide them the same college tuition. That, that, that Look, none of that is going to matter if your children grow up and they don't love Jesus. Commit to praying for them daily. Pray for their salvation if they're not already saved and if they're saved, pray for their sanctification. Pray that they would make their decisions based on the word of God. Number two, confess. Confess to your children where you have failed, even if they are grown and out of the house. I told you about sitting in my office with grown men crying because of their regrets. That they taught their children how to live in this world, how to make a good living, how to be popular. Didn't teach them how to walk with Jesus. If that's you. Remember, the Lord is a Lord of forgiveness. Confess that to your wife and to your children and, and ask their forgiveness. Let them know now that what you value most is their sanctification. Thirdly, commit, confess, and then one more commit. Commit to do better if the Lord gives you the opportunity to be a grandparent. The Lord's so gracious. Sometimes when we make a mess of it with our children, it gives us another chance with our grandchildren. I know many of you are raising your grandchildren. Many of you have a lot of influence in the lives of your grandchildren. Now be wise about this because you're not the parent. But you can pray for them. And when you're watching them and their parents are at work, you can teach them the word. And you can tell them and let them know that uh, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So can we do that for one another? Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and let's just pray for our dads. Pray for our children that uh, these young people that sang to us represent many hundreds of other young people in our church family. Pray that they would know before they leave home that what their parents value and what their church family values. Number one, positional righteousness, that they come to know in a personal way the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ by experiencing his grace.
And then once they're positionally righteous in the eyes of God, that they spend a lifetime pursuing practical righteousness, pleasing Him with their God-honoring decisions. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for these two little verses in uh, the 23rd chapter of Proverbs, Lord. I know I haven't done it justice. Lord, it's caused us to think about uh, the shortness of the time we have with our children. And Lord, we thank you for these young people who led us so beautifully today. And as I looked at their faces, Lord, I'm reminded of the time when they were born, many of them, and, and how they went to Bible school and Sunday school. And now they're just a few years, some of them just a few months away from leaving home. So Father, I pray they would remember the lessons that they were taught, not only here in this building, but at home by their parents. Father, that they would all know that what is most important is to have your sins forgiven and to be right based on the applied blood of Jesus in their lives. And Father, then that we would send them out as arrows skillfully shot into the world to have the greatest impact. Father, that they would reject the humanism and the secularism and the promiscuity and the atheism and the pragmatism that they're going to be confronted with in the world, that they would cling tightly to the Word of God. Father, that that generation would have a greater impact than our own around the world for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.